Welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. My name is Talaya Dindi. I'm a cancer thriver, cancer doula, independent patient advocate, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, everyone. This is Talaya Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to Navigating Cancer Together, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Erin Copeland. Erin is a speaker, best-selling author, and licensed massage therapist. In 2009, she was appointed sole caregiver to her husband as he was diagnosed with cancer and underwent multiple surgeries and had a very successful liver transplant. With caregiving experience that spans over a decade in multiple states with multiple medical centers, Erin was called to share her stories with the underserved caregiving community. Erin is a UNOS, United Network for Organ Sharing Ambassador, helping to spread the word of the importance of organ donation. She loves writing, the ocean, snuggling with her kitty, and learning new ways to express her creativity. Erin, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here today. Erin, I cannot wait for the audience to hear your story and experience as a caregiver. But before we get started, Erin, how are you feeling today? I am feeling really great today. It's a good day. Wonderful. <laughs> Every day we get to wake up and put our feet on the ground. I feel like it's an excellent day. I'm with you there. It's a blessing and a gift. <laughs> Could not agree more. Erin, could you please share with us how your husband learned that he had liver cancer? You know, I feel like every single step of our journey has just been so unique. And it's one of the reasons I was like, I think I'm supposed to write a book about this because (laughs) this is just so strange. So initially, nobody told him he had cancer. And we had been planning a trip to Africa. Wow. of a lifetime. We were going on a safari. We were so, so excited. But when you go to Africa, you need vaccinations and things. And that's the only reason he went to the doctor at all. And it was one of those, he was procrastinating. I was like, I will go to Africa without you. You need to understand (laughs) if you don't get your shots. I will leave you. (laughs) I I will wave to you from across the world (laughs) because I'm going. And so when he went to get his vaccinations, he hadn't been to the doctor in so long. You know, they did a full workup and physical and labs and the labs came back irregular. And so they sent him off to a specialist and the specialist did some tests and said, you know what, I'm going to send you to another specialist, but go on your trip, have a good time no rush, you know, have fun. 
So we went, we had a fantastic time and we got back and we went to see the, the now second specialist. And I just remember sitting in the room with her and there were other people with her. I think they were interns, possibly other doctors. It's, it's one of those scenes where you can see one person, other people kind of faded in the background. You mm-hmm. just can't recall them. And she just started talking about cancer, cancer and transplants and things. And we were like, what are you talking about? And finally, Jerry said, what, what are you talking about? She said, well, didn't they tell you you have cancer? We were like, wow. No, <laughs> no one mentioned that at all. And so that's, that's how we found out. That's interesting. That's a very interesting way to find out you have cancer. It's like, oh, no one told you. Of course, you got this news and you were very shocked, I'm sure. What were some thoughts that were going through your mind? And once you were able to kind of get through the first initial shock, what was your first course of action? I mean, the shock is a big one. I remember sitting in the car after that doctor's appointment, we just sat in the car. I can't even tell you how long we sat there. Mm -hmm. And I was very numb. I I didn't cry. I didn't like, there were no emotions. It was just very surreal. And then I feel like the very next thing we did was to set up a second opinion Mm -hmm. because, you know, their immediate reaction, it was very confusing and very overwhelming because all I knew about cancer was very little. And so I really felt like, how can you even say somebody has cancer if you don't do a biopsy? And that's, I think partially what I know the technology has advanced so much now, but liver cancer is just different that way. They could tell by his labs and he did have a mass on his liver. So they're like, it's, it's plain to us. The words I used were, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. And so Aaron, your husband, did he recall any symptoms that he was feeling at all? No symptoms. Nope. He was, you know, relatively fit. He yeah, no aches, no pains. He was not jaundicey. He was not nothing. Zero. Wow. Which has actually been very, very fortunate for him because with all of the treatments he's had and all of the surgeries and all of the procedures, we've been, you know, in waiting rooms with people who are really, really sick. People really fighting hard, fighting hard, and they're in a lot of pain. And my husband has been very fortunate that he didn't, he wasn't in the hospital counting down the minutes. Like I, if I don't get a transplant in the next day, I'm going to die. I didn't have to go through that. He was, you know, he had side effects and pains from all of the surgeries, but he was really blessed to Can't even art I can't even articulate mm-hmm. it probably to be severely yeah. ill. Yeah. So he's been very fortunate through our entire journey that we've just kind of caught things in very weird ways like this. You know, he wasn't feeling sick. We were going on vacation and that's how we found out he had cancer. And every step of the way has been just some kind of fluke signal thing, like better check this thing. And we were able to be a step ahead of it. So we've been very lucky that way. 
Cancer is a weird thing like that. Sometimes there's all these symptoms. You just feel sick. You feel aches and pains. And sometimes there's nothing. You, like you say, you just happen to find it. And that's why it's so important to really know your body. Make sure you stay on top of getting your screenings, your blood work, all of those things. Because even though you may look well and feel well, there may be something going on that you're not aware of. So thank you so much, Erin, for sharing that. On your website, you have a statement that says softening the caregiving journey. Please share your experience about the gaps in caregiver support that you experienced. So it's very interesting. I recently recalled a doctor's visit that I didn't talk about in my book. And in that space, it was after one of Jerry's diagnoses. His cancer came back so many times. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly which one it was, but the nurse asked him if he was feeling distressed with his diagnosis. And he's like, not really. I mean, my husband talking about being the duck and letting things roll <laughs> off you and like going with the flow. My husband's the epitome of that. So I make up for it. <laughs> I, I carry all of the stress. And so he's like, no, I'm fine. Like, we're going to take care of it. And like, Hey, the distress is over here. And mm -hmm. I vocalized that. And she kind of laughed and she said, Oh, the wives are always like that. The husbands are like, Oh, it's fine. And the wives are like, Ah, oh. and she kind of laughed. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. As I look back on it now, nobody said, Hey, but are you okay? nobody said, would you like a phone number to a support group? When they called him on the phone to follow up the social worker, my husband had a similar conversation with them. Nobody asked to speak with me. Nobody asked if I needed resources. So I was like, wow, I understand I'm not the patient. And so right. there is that necessary, I suppose, kind of a tunnel vision because they're caring for the patient, but so am I. Right. And if I am failing, if I am struggling, if I am faltering, there was nothing uh, at the time to soften my journey. There wasn't anything for me. I'm sure if I had then taken the initiative and said, hey, wait a minute, I really like, but I feel like I needed to take the initiative to do it. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything that was just, and I think that's a big gap. So Aaron, the first time you spoke up and you in a way said, Hey, I'm over here. I need support too. What was that experience like for you? I never asked support of Jerry's medical team. I got support from therapists and you know my inner circle of friends when I needed it, but I depended a lot on one-on-one -on -one therapy that I saw for myself. I know there are support groups that are out there. I didn't participate in a support group. I was in such a heightened codependent state that I really couldn't set a boundary within myself, number one, to allow myself to feel vulnerable in a group of people. And I also didn't know how to set that boundary to not feel responsible for everybody else in the group. Yes. It's have to take care of everybody. And so I was like, wait, you want, I can't take care of everybody. So I can't participate. And yeah. it was that black and white for me. 
Um, I know that wasn't my responsibility, but that's, again, everything was so heightened and I, I couldn't draw the boundary. I understand your feeling about support groups. I think they're amazing. They're great for people that really gravitate to that sort of thing. But I was kind of like you as a cancer patient. I just, the support group thing didn't work for me because I felt all of that energy of the other people. And because my energy was more so I want to survive and live, their energy was more, oh, woe is me. And I just, I want to give up. And I'm like, I can't take that on. So what you just shared, Aaron, I feel it to the core. I can relate even from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very personal, personal thing. What is something that you took from therapy that really helped you in your caregiving journey? My husband and I were actually kind of joking about this a little bit recently because my therapist is like, Aaron, you, it's not your responsibility to keep your husband alive. Cause I'm very much like, that is my, that's like, that's my purpose in life yeah. like, to make sure all the people know, to make sure all the things are happening that. I don't know how else to describe it that like I have to keep him alive. Um, again, it's another lovely irrational thought because I am not a doctor, nor am I God. Right. So, but I will carry that and take on responsibilities that I probably need to settle down a little bit on and at least acknowledge that all of my powers are not magical. I have a lot of magical powers. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I know. <laughs> but just that reminder, that reminder, I'm human. Right. That's the bottom line. The bottom, I am human mm -hmm. and not responsible, you know, for saving lives. I am responsible for making sure I'm okay. Yes. And, and I'm allowed to not be okay. That's right. To not be okay. Yes, I love that. I, I think that's beautiful when you can take a step back from a very tough situation like that and say, it's okay for me to have a bad day, to not be okay, and to take a break. Because giving yourself that time for yourself can make a world of difference. And it's hard. It is hard to take the breaks. It just mm -hmm. is. Speaking of breaks, Aaron, what were some ways that you took breaks and you took time for yourself? And how did you, and, and I, I feel comfortable asking this because I kind of know your personality a little bit. How did you deal with the guilt when you did take breaks? Well, I like to refer to the breaks and self-care as just taking a pause mm -hmm. because sometimes you cannot get away for an hour massage or a spa day or something that feels big. Self-care can feel big. It can feel selfish. And when you're in the middle of caregiving, you know, sometimes people would say to me, what are you doing for you? And I was just like, no, don't like, don't do that. Cause it just felt like another task. And so finding just that awareness of what little things I was doing for myself and the things that we are all already doing for ourselves. Like I love to color. And so I would get, you know, I have 
some of the adult coloring books with like lovely swear words in them decorated with flowers. <laughs> and just going back to that place of being a kid with my markers and my coloring book, it's very meditative. There's not much else you can think of when you're trying to stay in the lines. Right. <laughs> and you're picking color, you know, I pick colors. Does this go with this one? Do I want this? You know, and I could do it while I was at home. I could do it while my husband was napping. I could do a little bit now, a little bit later. Those kinds of little things can be really, really lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can relate about the adult coloring books. They are very relaxing. And I found that even though I'm not really thinking about anything in particular, subconsciously I am because, you know, maybe I'm trying to think about how to improve something or different steps I can take to change something or whatever. But I feel like it's a time where you can just think and free flow and not worry about anything else. But subconsciously, there are other things that are taking place. And I think in a healthy way, because it just allows you to just be and you're not focused so much on doing this one particular thing. It's just like your mind is at peace. Yeah, you leave that reactive state. So even for processing big information, you know, you get the diagnosis, you're waiting for reports, test results to come back and things like that. And our bodies need to acclimate to the information and what's happening. And so giving ourselves that time to settle into, okay, this is my reality and this is what's happening and it's going to be okay. Shoulders, you can drop, yeah. you know, lungs, you can inhale, you can expand, you can breathe and getting into that place. Cause if we don't let our bodies go through those cycles, that trauma is just going to kind of stick in us. And when yeah. the trauma sticks in us, that's when we start to get sick. That's right. And that ways to shake out that trauma and sometimes literally shaking it out also fabulous. If you're not in the mood, like if dancing makes you feel weird, <laughs> you don't want to, <laughs> but even looking back, the more I've learned about trauma, when Jerry was in the hospital, sometimes I, I would have dance parties very regularly. Mm -hmm. I would put on his favorite Motown songs and he couldn't dance, but he loved the music. And <laughs> I would just dance in the room mm -hmm. and it would make him laugh. And I was silly. Sometimes I would just start doing yoga. The nurses were like, are you a yoga instructor? I was like, no, I'm not. But my body had to move. It had yes. to release the junk. And it came out at weird times and weird ways, but that was my body processing. And we have to we have to give it that time. It's great that you found ways to do that and you recognize that need. So I want to commend you on that. Thank you. Erin, your book is called Welcome to Caregiving, the things caregivers never talk about. It is a guide on how to be a caregiver. Please tell us more about that, what you mean about the how. I love what you have to say about that. Also, tell the audience where they can find your book. So actually, that it's not a guide on how. I don't want to tell anybody how to do it because it's such a personal experience and such a personal journey. That's why I like to focus on softening that journey and finding that awareness and ways to honor where you are and what you need to do. Because if someone goes in black and white, do this and then do this and then it's, you know, do the self-care, it starts to feel um, inhibited and we have to be able to flow. And mm -hmm. so my book really shares my experiences and it does, I have a bunch of 
sections I called in hindsight, because there's things I did not see in the moment that I saw when I wrote the book said, Hey, I did this thing. This is the lesson I learned for myself. So if you can learn from my lesson, so you don't repeat it. Amazing. <laughs> but also it's just my journey so that people don't feel so alone. They're like, okay, I'm doing some kooky things. Aaron did some kooky things. <laughs> We're all good. <laughs> And the book can be found on Amazon. It is in paperback and ebook and audiobook. I I recorded the audiobook for it as well. So. Great. What is one thing that a caregiver never talks about, Erin? I think the biggest thing we never talk about, and it was the hardest chapter for me to write in my book, but I wrote a whole chapter about sex. Because whether you are the caregiver for your spouse, like I was, or a parent or even a child, the stresses and things, they trickle through your life and it affects every facet of your life. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a whole chapter. Good. I tried to leave it out. <laughs> oh, if I'm talking about all the things, I need to talk about all the things. So here it is, readers. That's right. And that's one thing too, that the healthcare team doesn't really prepare you for. And many people have said that too, that have been in cancer patients. They've said, well, nobody told me this particular thing was going to affect my sex life or my sex function. It's so good to hear that coming from a caregiver as well. Thank you for talking about that topic. As a woman, did you receive pushback or attitude from doctors or medical professionals? And if you did, how did you handle that? And what advice do you have for other women who are advocating for their loved ones and their caregivers as well? Such an interesting question. And I don't know so much if it was because I was a woman. I would like to give some of these people the benefit <laughs> of the doubt and just say that they were just jerks overall. <laughs> to everybody. But I, you know, one of the second opinions that we went to, I went to ask questions and I had done some research and the question I asked, which I will never forget the question I said, <laughs> is Jerry's cancer primary or secondary? Good question. And he rolled his eyes and he said, Oh, you're one of those. Mm. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't ask any more questions. I was done. Um. I was done. I was very upset about it. I completely disassociated from the situation. And then Jerry and I decided when we got home that we would not be going to that medical center if that's how they were going to treat me. They weren't fit to care for us as a family. And I think my only advice is uh, to find teams that you are comfortable with as a family. I would always choose whatever is best for my husband, what he was most comfortable with in honoring his life decisions. And just to keep using your voice. That's the biggest advice for women, using your voice, listening to your gut. It knows when something does not feel right. If you have a question about something, something is not making sense. Use your voice. No matter how many times they roll their eyes, no, how, I, <laughs> no, how many times they say, you don't need to write this down. I heard that a lot. Oh, yes. You don't mm -hmm. need to write this down. You don't need to write this down. I would just say, thank you. And I would just keep writing. Listen to your gut, use your voice. Great advice, Erin. What other tools have you created to help caregivers? You know, I really try to be very creative in 
my offerings, I did create the patient handbook, which was actually that even came that idea before I wrote my book because I couldn't find anything to organize my caregiver notes. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so I created a binder system and I call it the patient handbook because the data is all on the patient, but it's in a binder. It can be organized. It's got the calendar place for notes to ask questions. I created a body scan checklist with some cues so that before you step into the doctor's office, the caregiver and the patient can sit together and be like, okay, how are you feeling? Let's tune into the body. And so that we can communicate what's happening and what sensations you're feeling. Because every time, at least for me personally, the minute I sit in that doctor's office on the crunchy paper table, <laughs> it's like when you take the car to the mechanic yeah. and the thing's not wrong anymore. You exactly. The adrenaline like masks all of your signs and symptoms. And you sit there and you're like, I'm fine. I don't know why I'm here. And then you get home and you're like, oh, did you ask him this? Did you ask him that? I forgot. This is the tool to help people with that. And then I've just tried to create a bunch of free content and PDFs, you know, like five ways to celebrate without cake or champagne so that we can honor ourselves and what we're doing for ourselves. I have a little fact sheet on organ donation, 10 ways to support a caregiver. I've got that on my website. So yeah, I tried to. Nice. Erin, I want to talk a little bit more about organ donation. Please share with the audience some tips that people should be mindful of if they or a loved one are in need of an organ? I feel like talking about it openly is very important. I think a lot of people have some misinformation on how organ donation is handled. And so I try to talk very openly about that with, with people who are, who are curious. I recently spoke at a conference in San Diego and the taxi driver asked why we were there. I told him, and it was for the Society of Transplant Social Workers. That's where I was speaking. And we started talking about organ donation. And he had all these questions. We talked for like a half hour just about organ donation. But he was asking questions like, oh, so how do you buy an organ? You do not buy an organ. Organs are not for sale in America. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of the world does, but that is not a thing. Um there is a list. It is managed. It's like down, you know, it's blood type down to the minute of when you're on the list. There's each organ has different tests and scores and things to help you move up on the list. To me, I find it to be a fascinating system. The world of organ donation is fascinating to me. But I think having those conversations is just important. You know, now I believe all major religions will accept organ donation, which was not always the case. Many leave it up to the discretion of the individual. And so that's on the UNOS website, uh, information about that. So any questions, and I always tell people, you have any questions about it? I'm here. You're welcome to message me and I will happily answer questions and forward any information I can. This episode of Navigating Cancer Together is sponsored by On the Other Side, a cancer navigation enterprise that offers emotional support to individuals and families affected by cancer. Their cancer doula can guide them through the healthcare system and help them mindfully navigate cancer so they can reclaim their lives. If you want to learn more, visit ontheotherside.life and book a meet and greet today with a knowledgeable cancer doula 
who has faced cancer and made it on the other side. Thank you, Erin, for sharing that information. As you know now, everyone's life changes after a cancer diagnosis, even family members. What was your purpose in life before becoming a caregiver to your husband? And what is your purpose now? What? That's a good, what was, what was my purpose? It's been so long now. <laughs> you know, the bio says we're over a decade and we're into, well, I think next year is going to be 15 years. Wow. Um, and I don't know if I had defined a purpose for myself per se. I was working a nine to five, just kind of, it's just working mm-hmm. day to day. But there's something in me that feels like I was always meant to be a caregiver. I was always shared, meant to share this message in one way or another. I mentioned at the beginning of our interview, just the way things happened, none of it was normal. <laughs> it was like this story after story. It was like, what, what? And, and I was meant to share these experiences. How has being a caregiver changed you? I don't know that it has. I think okay. it has actually enhanced me good and bad, good and bad. Some <laughs> of the, you know, those, uh, some of those lovely codependent qualities that we talked about a little bit, those were for sure enhanced. <laughs> In a good but way. Then I don't know that I would have learned about them to be able to heal them to be a better version of myself. The compassion in me has been enhanced the love for myself has been enhanced. So I really think, um, yeah, enhancement is, it's done more enhancing than changing. I like that. Enhanced. That's perfect. What is one word that you would use to describe how you are surviving or how you have survived caregiving? Endurance. It's the long game. Yeah. Long game. It can be short and you might have a child or loved one that has a broken arm or, you know, something like that. And it's kind of a shorter thing. There are many people out there caring for loved ones with dementia and Alzheimer's and that it's a long game. game. Cancer comes in and goes. My husband had a period that, you know, every two, three years ago, something else would pop up. And so you're in the clear for a while and then you go again. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the long game. Thank you. What do people often misunderstand about being a caregiver? I feel like some people might categorize it as being a little easier than it is. Like Mm -hmm. you drive people to doctor's appointments, you tell people to take their pills and do the pill box. And there's just so much in it. I don't think it is widely discussed how much of a trauma it really is. You know, in my book, I talk about, and in my talks, I talk about being the kitchen table pharmacist and how that task, when I filled my husband's pillbox every week, I knew that those pills kept him alive. I knew if I messed them up, he could die. And therefore that task every Sunday had life or death significance for me. And I lived that every week and nobody prepared me for it. Nobody talked about that. 
And so all of those little moments really start to build up. And so unless you have a good foundation and you have those tools to soften the journey, that trauma, it really starts to affect our bodies and can lead to episodes of PTSD and things like that. And I think people don't uh, see caregiving in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, Aaron, what you have shared throughout our conversation really speaks to the need for caregivers to have care. All throughout our conversation, that's what I keep hearing is there needs to be care for the caregiver as well. So you can keep being the best caregiver to help make sure that your loved one is getting what they need and they're going through their journey as best as possible. Finally, Erin, what is one I wish I would have known? And it can be about life in general, caregiving, anything. So many... I think I really, I wish I would have known about the trauma factor, which I would, I wish I would have known how hard it can be. And then it's okay that it feels hard and everybody handles it differently. Everybody handles it differently. Like you mentioned in your intro, which is why you have this podcast, Mm -hmm. because we all come from different walks of life and have different experiences and process information differently. Um, But had I known I may have taken steps to soften that journey for myself instead of beating myself up. It took me, it took me a good uh, year or two longer than my husband to recover from his transplant. Wow. Speaking of that, Aaron, and trauma, PTSD, do you know if there are any therapists specifically for caregivers who have experienced trauma and PTSD? I know there are specific therapists for caregivers, for sure. I don't know. I've done a teeny tiny bit of research on caregiver PTSD, and I really did not find a lot of data. So if anybody Mm -hmm. knows the research, you're welcome to share it with me. And so I don't know if that's, you know, forthcoming in the medical channels. So I don't know if there are specific therapists that deal with the aftermath. I mean, I still have my therapist. I see her regularly. And so she helps me through things because, you know, things show up in weird times and weird ways. That's what we Mm -hmm. can when we can. And then it's like when our bodies and minds and spirits are ready to process the next part, something will resurface again. And we go, oh, I thought I dealt with this. Where did this come from? Well, guess what? We get to to dig into the next layer. So healing is ongoing. I could not agree more. And I like how you said when your body is ready. I think that's the key to realize for anyone out there listening who is pretty much telling someone, oh, that happened two, five years ago, get over it. No, your body lets you know when when you're ready to take that thing on or work through that thing. And so even in your experience, you are a great example of just because the treatment stops the loved one is healing and getting better. It doesn't mean that it's over. The journey's not over for either party. It's ongoing once cancer enters your life. It is. Erin, I want to thank you. You are an incredible caregiver. I love your personality. Thank you for sharing your experience. For the people who are interested in reaching out to you, learning more about your story and your journey, where can they find you? My website is the very best place because it has all the ways to connect with me. 
It's Aaron Copeland.com. That's Aaron with an E Copeland, no D Aaron Copeland.com. Wonderful. Aaron, is there anything else that you like to share before we end today? I feel very complete today. I've loved spending this time with you and sharing this space and energy with you and your audience. It's been really, really lovely for me. Thank you. I wish you the best. And thank you for sharing your insights as a caregiver. We need to hear more stories and experiences like yours. Thank you. I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find this podcast and listen again. You can listen to Navigating Cancer Together on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcast. Are you looking to expand your professional network? If you are, join me on LinkedIn. As an active member of the platform, I would like to personally invite you to connect with me. Let's grow our connections together. You can search for Talaya Dindi, B-C-P-A, that's T-A-L-A-Y-A, D-E-N-D-Y-B-C-P-A. That is it for this Wednesday. Until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you found it helpful. Please be sure to subscribe, share, and tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you join me for the next episode. Talk to you soon.